Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. How you guys doing? Hey, we are well, my friend. It's been over a year since we've seen you. It's been a minute. It's crazy. It's a fast year, isn't it? Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> depends. Well, depends where you're on the yeah. globe. You guys are in the promised land now, and we're we're buggered. Yeah, we're back into lockdown mode. Had a fast year of doing nothing. It's been. I have to say, it's a strange strategy that the Australians are going for. Um, yeah, well, we'll go into that. It's, <laughs> please do. Right please, please educate us. What should we be doing? Well. <laughs> I think we we've kind of I think we've we fumbled our way through it to a greater degree, but we just got the vaccine out quicker than most people, and it's yeah. all you can see in, in the stats are the cases are going up, hospitalizations are going up at a very slow rate, and deaths aren't not really. Yeah. So the evidence is there; it's the vaccine that's doing the job. Yeah, either the vaccine works or it doesn't work. If it works, brilliant, let us out. If it doesn't <laughs> work, got a bit of problem. Yeah, exactly. But, you know. So we've the, the only good thing about our situation is that we can we've got the benefit of foresight. We can look at what's happening to you and and, and if it doesn't work, we'll change our tactics. Yeah. <laughs> well, but the evidence is there. And we've no. been, you know, this weekend, say so appreciate your flexibility yesterday, but when the messages came through on WhatsApp, I was literally in a tent in the field <laughs> listening to cows. I remember a moment's sleep because I had cows on one side and some twat with a guitar on the other side thinking he's fucking <laughs> Jimi Hendrix all night um, so um, but other than that yeah but it, you know you've got this either it's a mass super spreader event or it's lots of people having fun in a, in a field and yeah you know it's I think we've just got to kind of move on now yeah what were you doing people out there losing too much businesses um, it's what Wilderness, Wilderness Festival so it's the first kind of limited numbers it's only sort of capped at fifteen thousand people um oh, is that all no bat <laughs> is yeah. that all we're not allowed three people <laughs> just, like, yeah, just a casual fifteen thousand. yeah <laughs> just half a football little stadium things, little things i noticed like there were very very few bands with lots of djs but you can't get bands at the moment because they've either packed it in um or there's only limited number of festivals they're not doing the whole kind of circuit now so there's a lot of electronic music and dancing and dance stuff which is yep. cool but yeah, um, I feel for you guys, really, because it is a sort of time for you to come emerge. I've got a friend in Melbourne. She's a sales rep. She's just spitting fire constantly because she can't do any work. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. There's no end in sight for this because we can't get enough vaccine. Like you said, we're just stuck yeah. in limbo for probably a couple of months now. Yeah, Christmas oh. maybe. Really? Yeah, maybe. It, it could be. Yeah, we'll maybe see. we'll see. It's hard to tell every – it's hard to know. The politicians just like to break the news to you slowly. So they put these dates in and then, oh, we'll review it, you know, a few days before and then the day that you're supposed to come out, hey, we're in for another two weeks. It's just – Yeah. It's just – you just don't know. It was because of before the pandemic, you had the fires as well. So it's kind of yeah. like, you know, it's a country who's taken a few, yeah. a few digs over the last couple yeah. of years. I think the technical term is uh, clusterfuck. 
I think I think yeah. that's what it's. I think that's what they call <laughs> it. <laughs> Bloody convicts. We can't, the convicts can't get our shit together. Nice to see you, Rick. Hey, Thank Rick. you for joining. Hey guys, how you doing? We well. are well. We are well. Yeah, we're we're as well as we can be when we're in lockdown. We're all good. How have you been? What's been happening? Have you been going to yeah. wilderness festivals as well? Yes. No, I haven't. <laughs> I, I, I did have an interesting weekend though. I saw. It looks like you had a fancy night out. At, well, maybe a whole weekend at the W. Was it? Uh, we stayed there. Yeah. The the interesting part was the proud cabaret. Oh. It looked um, like you were um, sort of a Thai ping pong show, from what I could see. Yeah, I mean there were there were elements of that. Yeah, uh, I hope you I, waxed I was, first. <laughs> I, I was saying to Rich earlier, I did experience some confusing feelings <laughs> uh, because you never quite knew yeah. what you were looking at. Well, um, you're, among, you're amongst friends, friends, Rick. You can tell tell us. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, there were some beautiful men performing. Right. Um, and uh, beautiful women, and you never knew which was which. You're a romantic man to take your wife to a, a decade of love to somewhere like that. She's very open-minded. Yeah, it was her idea. She, <laughs> she's obsessed with this. Um, there's a guy, Jake. It was that, his name's Jake. Uh, Jake Dupree. He's like a male burlesque dancer. Right. And she loves him. So she wanted to see He's normally in the US, but he was here. Uh, doing this show so uh, she wanted to see him and then they had vegas showgirls they had fire breathers they had you name it trapeze yeah it was really cool mm, interesting yeah now we were just recapping with uh, richard before you joined us we last had you guys on on a webinar over a year ago i can't believe it's yeah. over a year ago but it, it was and i think this is the first podcast that we've done where we've sort of tried to recap one of the webinars in an audio form because the topic that you guys did for us is so relevant to us now. And yeah. It was how to be the clinic that survives COVID-19 or the pandemic. And we thought that was ancient history, but now here we are thrown into what's going to be at least a three-month lockdown, at least mm. in Sydney again, and half the country's been it's 80% now. in and out of lockdowns again. So yeah. we thought yeah. we'd rehash this and and sort of try to summarise what was an amazing webinar. So thank you guys for coming back. Yeah. And maybe, maybe, maybe before we, we dig into that too much, just I guess so that our, the listeners can orientate themselves with who you guys are. So can you just give us a little bit of a spiel about yourselves? Maybe you were here first, Richard. You, you, can, you can kick off first. So um, I have been in the UK aesthetics market about 15 years, very different roles, uh, mainly sales, sales and marketing. Um, and what I essentially specialise in is helping build aesthetic entrepreneurs, that's the name of the business. And there's a very specific type of person I work with, you know, someone who's quite driven, quite focused, quite creative, but has a little bit of an edge and, you know, wants to really achieve. And they find those sorts of people, we can you know, create great results. And um, what we discovered in the last few years, and I suppose one of the things that's relevant to this is that, you know, the, one of the businesses that do or have really started to prosper post-COVID are the ones who literally focused ruthlessly during the pandemic and just got on with it. And they're really reaping the rewards now. So essentially, you know, what, where AE has been strong and what we've been doing over the last two years is helping people move through that process. Yeah, because it's not something that comes natural to a lot of people. It's like, shit, what's happening? We've lost our income. We've lost our business. Now what? And, you know, we've been the guys who are sort of helping them answer that question. They're now what? And look for the success on the other side. Yeah, thanks. And uh, Rick, your turn. 
when he asked him for an intro, you got a whole podcast. Yeah, well, it's funny when I mean, I'm, I, when I when when uh, Richard first came on the webinar last year, I thought, should I owe someone money? I wasn't sure that. <laughs> well, he was about twenty minutes late. I remember. I, I he couldn't get into the Zoom. I remember that. So we should actually was, dock him was, points for that. That was carnage. Well, do it, I can do it again if you want. Yeah, no, no, that's no, good. No. It's, it's good. Good. <laughs> good to have you. Uh, so my intro, uh, I'm Rick O'Neill. I've been in digital, digital marketing for oh, 24 years. And uh, I founded a digital agency here in the UK based at Silverstone Racetrack, where we do oh. the F1 here, um, 13 years ago. And right. about a year into that, we started working with a couple of plastic surgeons and private hospitals. And that kind of led us eventually into the field of aesthetics and so that's that's a major focus for the agency and for me now. Um, and as a result of all of that, I've become kind of digital consultant to lots of pharmaceutical companies, aesthetics manufacturers, uh, writing for the various trade press and doing lots of presentations. And uh, eventually, after narrowing narrowly avoiding each other for years, Richard and I got together. Um, and just as aesthetic entrepreneurs was beginning to flourish and we put business and digital together and and that's what we're here to talk to you about today excellent fantastic now i guess well i'm interested to firstly find out what's happened in the uk because now you guys are you know you are up and running i know you know you've obviously got lots of cases but in terms of people being sick etc that those numbers have dropped and people are now working in their clinics so when we first had you on a year ago, you were sort of predicting this sort of L-shaped graph of a recession where everything went to bust, then you had a bit of a recovery, and then it sort of, you know, grew again over a year or two. We're, we're kind of, a, what, 18 months or a year into this yeah. whole pandemic. So where are the UK and, and where can we expect to be potentially? Um, great question. So, so the L-shape, um, yeah, that steep drop and then a flat curve and then a sort of steady recovery um, was wrong. It was completely right. wrong. Um, actually, what happened was a very fast recovery. So it's a V. Um, for the, I'm, you know, without going into the economics of it at all, I'm not entirely sure if we've, we've had the full shock yet, but mm-hmm. we never know. Um, but from a, you know, an aesthetic-specific perspective, the market rebounded really, really fast. So what we saw was at the end of sort of lockdown one, there's this pent-up demand, this latent demand for treatment um, come through. Um, and it came through in an avalanche. It really <laughs> did. I mean, we had clients. We didn't speak for people for you know, for a couple of months while they're just going through their, you know, their their, their list of um, of bookings. Um, and then it sort of you know, fell off a little bit, but not massively. Um, then we went to a second lockdown. Again, the same thing happened. The same pattern. But what happened at sort of as overall is if you took Q1 of 2020 and merged it to Q1 of 2021 majority of the businesses that we work with had increased their business. Some had doubled, some had tripled their client numbers and revenue, Yeah, which is a massive win for them. But I think, um, you know, the work they put in, I said earlier, the work they put in during the lockdown paid off massive. What do you think caused the different result than what you had anticipated? Do you think it was, you know, I guess I've got some of my own theories around, you know, I guess younger generations probably being more willing to get out there and spend, not so concerned and less conservative than, I guess, you know, Generation X and, and the baby boomers. Do you think it was that? Do you think it was because it was relatively short-lived and everyone was just ready to rock and roll? Because I'm sort of having questions here about how are we going to go the second time around with a lockdown, double the double the 
double the duration. I think mm. the sentiment from people that I talk to in business is a little bit more um, pessimistic than what it was last night. Yeah. People don't tend to have that same bouts in their step and that same positive outlook on what's going to happen post. So what what do you think led to it, that that that, po- that uh, post-lockdown uh, recovery that was so positive for you guys? It was a, it was a combination of things. Um, i say three things. One was attitude of the practitioner, the attitude of the business owner. Um, and what I mean by that is we had furlough and, you know, a lot of people sort of took that as a bit of almost like a hibernation step. It's like, okay, well, the business is being paid. We don't need to do much. It's okay. And took their feet off the, off the gas. Some businesses didn't have that and had to trade their way through it. So, so their focus was still very much on, on the business and lots of communication, lots of messaging going out to the client base, lots of work on social media, Facebook lives, videos, you know, just really just literally throwing as much at it as they could um, and, and focusing quite hard on it. Then also aligned to that, as you said, it was about the client base and the people who were communicating more frequently obviously started to attract interest from those, the clients of people who weren't communicating. Um, so they sort of started to attract new business, new clients in. They also started talking to their client base in a way they hadn't done before. So when you come out of this, what would you like to have? So they're getting you know analysis and understanding of what the problems that the people were facing as well. So it was most people came straight back in. And the first treatment they'd want to have was to solve a specific problem. It's like the one that they've been staring at for the last four months, like, you know, these things. So get that treated, and then when they come back in, then do the upsell rather than trying to sell everything to everybody in one hit. So it's these different strategies that really um, helped it. But in the middle of all of that was the digital stuff. And if it wasn't for the, the digital application of those strategies, they wouldn't have been so successful. Mm-hmm. Perfect time to bring you in, Rick. You know, this is your this is your baby digital. So you must have seen a massive boom because suddenly everything went online, shopping and virtual yeah. consults and God knows what else. Yeah, I mean, I'm knackered because it was it was busy. Um, I mean, pretty much every business that I'm involved with that we work with uh, that's either delivering digital by on my side or taking action in and around digital has seen a growth spurt as a result of that action. And as Rich said, there were two types of business in all the lockdowns. There was head in the sand and there was get on with it. And in, in the get on with it camp, that included people that were consuming and, and upskilling themselves around digital marketing, uh, digital processes and systems, integrating them into their business, pivoting to e-commerce, integrating video consultations into their process, etc. cetera. Um, but in the extreme examples, I, I had people that I've coached or have taken courses from us. We've got small kind of pop-up courses on uh, sort out your Google local search optimization, for example. And we have people that coming into lockdown were just getting started. Maybe they were doing five, six grand a month. When they come out of it, they were doing 15 to 20 grand a month because Hmm. they were now so much more visible than they were coming in to those lockdowns. So they went through a whole process. And again, when I talk about digital and I see a lot of people out there talking about Hey, do you want to know the secret or the magic pill? There isn't one. It's hard work. And these people put in the hard work. They followed what I told them to do, the courses, the products, the templates, the guides that we throw out there. The ones that came out with such a dramatic differing result and new level of inquiries that they'd never seen before 
are the ones that took action and they just did the work. They, they put in the work through the, the digital processes and they did it in the right order as well. Yeah. So I think there's a very definite priority order in which people should go through these kind of digital transformations in aesthetics. Um, and we'll get to that. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe we'll go back to Richard. Can you just tell us, you know, what is your, your business? Aesthetic entrepreneurs, what are you doing? Is it all online? How do people come across you? What are you doing? What services do you offer? Like, how, you know, just give us a run through. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So, so essentially, Aesthetic Entrepreneurs, in its purest form, is a business business growth hacker program. Um, you know, what we do is we take um, a, a business, depending on what you know, various stages of its life cycle, and move it to the next step. So, in my experience, the Aesthetic market generally breaks down into five kind of business types. You've got boutique, lifestyle, performance, high performance, and corporate business models. So, boutique is generally someone working from home, owner operator, part time. You know, maybe just starting out one year in business lifestyle is as it suggests you know it's now providing you know additional revenue a bit of cash you know um but they're probably working in a smaller clinic or maybe in working in someone else's salon performance business is now it's it's got to deliver so it's it's got overheads it's got staffing and it's a much more mature level of its business high performance is a similar business model but it's turning over closer to you know a million and then corporate is often you know a chain of high performing clinics put together so mm-hmm. that's how i break it down and what we do essentially is we move people through that model. So we take we can take a, a boutique business, someone's just started out, and they can work with us online. So they'll get um, some you know, information on, on business strategy, on how to plan, how to you know set goals, clear visions for their future and their success, and then how to implement them. And that's mainly delivered online because at that size of the business, they're quite time poor, quite cash poor as well, to be fair. So there's just certain simple things that they can implement. It don't cost a lot of money to take them to the next level. The lifestyle side of things is when we start to pick it up. We've got online programs there, which are a combination of online learning um, through workshops and video workshops, but also you know Zoom calls and things like that um, to take them on, on to the next level. So we put a little bit more structure into the business because at that stage it's about confidence. You know, the, the boutique business is just about dealing with the massive overwhelming fear of running a business from day one. Then we've got to get a bit more confident, a little bit more familiar with the language. That's where Rick sometimes here pops in, comes into that at that level because processes, automation, booking systems, all those sorts of things, the maturity of the business is there. Performance is when we can really sort of turn the dial up because they've got ref, they've got resources to be able to not have to do everything themselves. We've got marketing campaign strategies. They're bringing capital equipment in. So we start to stick a rocket on that. And that's where I get involved. We get we get more, much more under the bonnet and work much closer with the entrepreneur to drive the business forward, um, and that's you know, and that the entrepreneur is a key word in, in the way I way I approach this is I like to deal with the people the human beings behind the business, um, work with them to help them achieve their goals, and when we align the business um, goals up with their personal goals, put some strategies and planning and wrap it in some you know in some real kind of. Um, KPIs and performance indicators, we can really get some great, great um, results from them. Sounds fantastic. Um, wish you guys uh, were here in Australia because I'm sure a lot of people could, uh, They're could coming. benefit. They're coming. All right, well, we'll get we're, to that. We're, yeah. we're coming. We're, yeah. yeah. We're going to help you sort your shit out. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> as we've mentioned, you know, many times on the podcast before a large cohort of the people that listen to us from what we've been able to ascertain are uh, independent business owners, a lot of them cosmetic nurses. So I guess maybe talking mm. to that group of people, when when they come to you, what is it that you see commonly as mistakes that are made, um, gaps in the knowledge base, 
potential mindset issues? What are the most common things that you're seeing? Just for me, when the first, so picking up that that sort of segment, the cosmetic nurse segment, they're often starting out as the boutique, and it yeah. is, it's just a, it's the complete overwhelm. It's just an overload of information. Everybody is telling them this. Everyone is telling them you should do that. You should go and do this on the website. You need to go and do this. You need to go and do that. So that yeah, so that cosmetic nurse segment. The first thing is the 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 you know overwhelm that heightened sort of state of of fear shuts down all their creative thinking. So, and that's what we need to be able to grow the business. So the first thing I've got to do is put some plans in place to, to help them manage the fear. And that's generally a very simple planning session with some yeah. strategy and what, where is it you want to go? Then let's see what's achievable, what's realistic. Because mm. again, boutique businesses, that's what they deal with boutique clients. This is one of the things I also see is a bit of a lack of understanding of what type of client to target. So as a small independent business, you're going to really struggle to take, you know, business from the massive chain down the road they're looking you're looking at two different types of models so what are the major concerns that you've got of the, the challenges that your clients have what are their goals and how can you help them achieve those goals or solve those problems and these are the questions that we ask before we've even started anything so we get those right then we've got a clear plan and then when they go to you know to rick to work on the digital side of things but they've got a clear brief clear understanding of you know who their customer avatar is i think also um, just extending that feeling of overwhelm because that is the overriding thing that people seem to be feeling when they're at that stage and when they come and find us. Um, on the digital side, it also makes people quite uh, vulnerable. There's a lot of uh, what I'd describe as predatory marketers, digital agencies that circle around the medical aesthetic sector. And the biggest red flag to me is one that approaches you because yeah. that's the wrong way around. Um, yeah, we don't. I think we were talking earlier about recruiting. We don't recruit anyone. We vet people because mm. there's certain types of people that we know we can get results with. People apply to join, um, and people seek us out, and that's the difference. And so when they come to us, they have sought us out, and so there's some trust to begin with, and they feel a bit safer, and they start to relax. And it's the same on the business side and the digital side, um, and it's something that I think is really important, even though when we're doing the digital side of things, whether it's through the courses or coaching calls, or we have um, kind of done for you programs that we take people through. The first thing we do is just calm them down and break everything down into simple chunks because digital as a whole piece is massive, very complex, confusing. You don't know where to start. You've maybe tried it or quite often you've been burnt by a previous experience or trying to work with someone that maybe cold called you or said, hey, I can change your life through Google optimization and guarantee you number one results and all of that rubbish, they've been burnt. And so the first thing is we relax them, we break it down into simple terms, and then we create them an action plan and we just work through it. Um, and so I think, as Rich was saying, and it's a really key point about aesthetic entrepreneurs, we're taking someone from being a practitioner, aesthetic practitioner, to an aesthetic entrepreneur on both the business and digital side. I remember you guys saying that uh, last year, just before, well, just as COVID hit, you guys were going to do an in-person conference, and then, you know, COVID hit, and and you guys had your own lockdown, and you decided to just do an online conference within twenty four hours. You just changed and rolled it out. So, tell us about the challenges of that, and what have you learned? you know, since? 
Yeah, so we had um, uh, GSD, which is our annual conference ready to go. And it's normally a, a physical event um, with award shows and workshops and everything. Um, every, everybody had booked to come. And then Boris, uh, in his infinite wisdom, announced the first <laughs> lockdown. Yeah. And, um, yeah, within 24 hours, um, I'd talked Richard back down off the, the ledge of the roof and <laughs> persuaded him persuaded him don't worry we can call it gs digital uh, and let's get it done um and actually it gave us a number of it, it's led to a lot of things and it gave us a lot of opportunities so um firstly we were able to leverage what we already had so we already had an active facebook community um and mailing lists and things like that but it also meant that rather than the hundred people that had bought tickets to come to the workshop event we could open it up to several hundred people much much cheaper because it was going to be digital um so we didn't have time and didn't need to build anything for it we did it through zoom facebook and right. whatsapp and um the whatsapp group around that conference is still active and pinging every day and and the way it kind of panned out was that the um promotion of each upcoming session was happening through the Facebook group and comments and questions were happening on there. The live streaming and the interviewing and everything was happening through Zoom. And the bar area, which is a really important part of every conference, was WhatsApp. Um, <laughs> and it was the most engaged event I've ever been involved in. Uh, and, we, and we pushed it a bit. We did some crazy stuff. Um, so halfway through my session, live on camera, I went and put my Taekwondo suit on and punched through 10 breeze blocks. I was trying to make a point about breaking digital, breaking down the elements of digital. Um, so we had some kind of wow and moments. And showing off. And showing <laughs> off. Showing off, yeah. <laughs> if you could do that, you would do it on a live stream, trust me. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. <laughs> and so, but what it meant afterwards, first of all, everybody loved it. Everyone was already in panic because they just had to shut the doors to their clinic. And this was literally day two or three of the first lockdown. So it gave everyone a kind of safe community to come into when they're just dealing with that shock of, shit, I just have to shut the doors. What am I going to do? Yeah. And so all of the content was about, well, we'll tell you what to do today, tomorrow, and the next day, and for the next few weeks, how to survive this, how to pivot like we just did. And um, we just led by example and told them how we'd changed, um, took them step by step through, you know, uh, inter integrating video into the site, talking about e-commerce, changing strategy around packages or remote skincare consultations, whatever it was, took them for a whole day through the process, calmed them down and gave them a plan to follow. Um, and, and for aesthetic entrepreneurs, it kind of triggered uh, several things so building we were already building digital assets in terms of courses and content but it also accelerated plans that richard had had and we talked about before to build our own platform uh not dependent on mark zuckerberg called <laughs> the matrix uh, and this is the matrix m-a-e-t-r-i-x what does it stand for rich stands for the uh, multifunctional aesthetic entrepreneurs training and information exchange it just oh, rolls yeah. off the tongue. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, 
you'll never forget that. Yeah. I don't. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and on the Matrix, we have all of our courses, all of our content. Uh, every practitioner has their own public profile, which brings search results to them too. Um, and it means that every kind of program we deliver has its has its own home. Um, and all of that was kind of triggered and accelerated by that first digital pivot. Um, and it also led to, a kind of, I guess, an, an increase in trust between us and the community, uh, having kind of caught them as they were in free fall at that moment and helped them through. Um, and it's led to lots of success stories and great case studies as a result. Yeah. And one of the things that we got, you know, we were, <clears throat> we were lucky. We just happened to be right people in the right place with the right skill set at the right time. Um, and that's what happened at the beginning of lockdown. You know, the combination of the digital and the strategy just for the right market, and we just connected. Then um, the strategies that we put out in place have been effective. They've all worked. Um, and, um, yeah, in essence, you know, it's built quite mm. a lot of trust with us in the community. That doesn't sound like luck. That sounds like preparation meeting opportunity, Richard. No, oh, that's a uh, you like that? Yeah. You big flirt, you big flirt, yeah. Well, you know, you create your own luck, right? You, you guys had the skills yeah. and, and the foresight and you were there with the solution when when the, when uh, when it was required. So just sort of um, continue on the digital discussion for a second, Rick. I mean, obviously we saw con- uh, consumer uh, behaviour changing during the lockdown and, and, and the pandemic in general and obviously that sparked uh, adaptation from providers. But since then, have you seen changes that have sort of continued since that since that time are the trends still heading in the same direction have we seen like a a permanent shift in the way we do business now even though you guys aren't in lockdown anymore and the pandemic seems to be under control in your region of the world yeah 100 percent. i mean i I think this was going to happen anyway but not for maybe five six years but this made it happen much quicker um and it's not just in aesthetics across all business um i mean for example i Someone in my village here is a, a director at Nationwide, a, a bank building society here. They surveyed all their staff. They got thousands and thousands of staff and they asked them, hey, do you want to, going forward, 100% work from home, uh, 100% work in the office or a mixture? 86% of them want to work from home. Mm. Yeah. Uh, which is surprised even me. I thought it would be a mix, but actually they're, they're happy to work at home and it, you know in aesthetics as well um everybody i speak to or that my team work with um their clients and patients are saying yeah i'm happy to do uh, some check-ins via video or I'll, i'm happy to have a video consult before i come in um all of them are asking about e-commerce uh, on the practitioner side that is how do we introduce e-commerce how do we digitize the patient onboarding process quicker than we might have done what else can we do what can we automate um so that kind of shift in focus has happened and, and is here to stay i think yeah 86 percent working from home it's dangerous you know i just realized the other day i've had the same tracksuit pants on for, for nearly four and a half days and i'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just <laughs> You just, you get into sloth mode. You just sort of think, God, you know, it's hard. It's almost like when you're at home, you're in a different, a different mode. It's like you can't, yeah. you don't have that same oomph that you normally would. So I wonder if people have changed their mind on that, on that vote of 86% wanting to start. I mean, it just sounds good to me, but I think 100% at home, you sort of, you, yeah. I think uh, a mix yeah. probably healthy. I mean, my agency, we have a mixture. We had a, a permanent office for a decade. Um, 
But actually, way before COVID came in, we were already starting to be a mixture of from home and yeah. at the office. Uh, and now it's one or two days a week, people will be at the, the agency office and the rest of the time from home. I've personally pretty much always worked from home. I've got an office at the bottom of the garden and it's my kind of domain. I'm, I'm quite happy to be productive in here, but for some, it's a big shift and they weren't set up for it. And so they were sat hunched over a dining table or in their kitchen at the breakfast bar or whatever, and yeah. it's not ideal. So I'm, I'm surprised by the the number of that percentage that wanted to yeah. stay there, to be honest. But um, I think also there was, in, in big companies, there was an issue with trust mm. from some managers uh, that, the, that their teams will be productive or not. Um, I think probably that's less of an issue in, in the kind of businesses mm. we're talking about. Um, but what it does mean is that there's a general change in um, behaviour of patients and consumers, but also expectation. The expectation of a digital service has gone way up now because everyone's been having to do everything online, grocery shopping, speaking to grandma, <laughs> everything. Yeah. They, they got a digit, their digital expectations are way higher. So now as aesthetic businesses, we've got to meet those faster than we might have done. Um, and so digital has gone to the kind of top of the agenda to get hashtag digitally sorted. Yeah. I laughed. Um, I got uh, a friend who was, he's single and he was trying to date during the first lockdown and even Tinder went virtual because of course you can't meet people. So they were encouraging people to have virtual relationships. <laughs> I was like, this world's gone mad. But, you know, fair enough, I guess. We've, we've all seen Demolition Man. We know where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. The headsets and the yeah. VR experience. Yeah, no, it's, it's, no, no bodily contact. Oh, yeah, God. Yeah, it, it depends just, how good the, the virtual reality is, right? Yeah, we just have you know intimate <laughs> you, intimate relations with our mind. Well, yeah, yeah, this is getting a bit Elon Musk here. But if you can't <laughs> differentiate reality from augmented reality, does it matter? Well, that's a good point. Now, now we're in the matrix. Very deep, who who are, are you and what have you done with Jake? It's a very deep thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though, you're talking about the expectations of digital. I was trying to get onto a web page today and it took about three seconds and I almost had an aneurysm in, with impatience. So, I mean, def <laughs> definitely, definitely well, expecting funny, more. It's funny you say that because in June um, of this year, uh, Google changed the way they rank websites in a massive yeah. way. Uh, it's slightly geeky, but it is important. Um, they introduced something called the Core Web Vitals test. Right. And it, it has four technical tests for how quick and how good an experience your website or your app is. Right. Um, and the majority of sites are failing that right now. Um, and if you do fail it, lots of um, sites are seeing a big drop in traffic and inquiries from June onwards. Yeah. Right. Because of that change. And the, 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 the thing that makes the biggest difference, two things, is how well your site works on a phone. Because mm. that in aesthetics, 90% of your clients' patients are going to be looking at your site using your booking system on their phone. And it's also how fast it loads. And three seconds is a lifetime. Yeah. You need yeah. to be on you need to be under a second. Yeah, wow. Well, I thought that was the way now that people were designing websites to primarily be functional on phones because that's where most web browsing happens, right? So I'm surprised that people haven't cottoned onto that yet. Well, the thing is, um, in web design, there are experts and then there's everyone else. 
thought you were going to say and, that. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say there's everyone and then there's you. Well, no. And, and there's everyone, the everyone else are people that have grown up with web building platforms like Wix or WordPress.com, which is different to the hosted WordPress uh, or One and One or Squarespace or whatever. And these platforms, it's great. It's brilliant that you can, within a few minutes, build a website for free. That is a good thing from a democratic perspective. But the problem is they're bloated and what they produce has way more code than it needs and it actually slows them down. Mm. And so I think now we're going to see a bit of a renaissance, thank goodness, for expert web developers and designers who can actually create <laughs> a streamlined app that doesn't have all that bloat, which will pass this test and will load quick and does work beautifully on a phone. Um, and that will make a big difference if if you're you as a practice and you can go and check this out for yourself if you look for google page speed insights run your website through it it will tell you whether or not you pass or fail the test um, and if you're failing it you're going to start to see a decline in the amount of times your site appears in google results um, and you'll see a drop off in traffic and inquiries as a result mm. maybe we could um just sort of reflect on injector life pre and post covid and i remember in our webinar richard sort of summarized some of what he called the rules for the new economy um and you were basically saying that you know pre covid everyone just sort of did everything one on one it was all in person and it was all you know sort of a bit you know i guess traditional and then yeah. suddenly you know everything had to be pivoted and online and everything so some of your bullet points were of course you know virtual consultations that's pretty standard having e-commerce mm. but some of the other things like working on the patient experience and um yeah. you know you know thinking about sort of a bit, bit more broadly outside the box so maybe just sort of touch on some of those things that injectors maybe haven't thought about yeah sure i mean the <laughs> The place to start is the client journey. I think with a lot of these things, the client journey is the business model. And um, what as you know, Rick's sort of talked about, what clearly happened is the client journey just changed. It stopped. Um, and I think we can also be more um, more dictatorial in terms of the approach that we're taking for clients because I think experience versus you know a, a treatment is. I always felt in the aesthetics market in the UK it was also a lot of times it was the consumer who was driving yeah. the agenda. Rather than the you know the expert who's over the, on the other side of the desk, you know, just saying, well, no, no, this is this is where it should be. Um, and what we've had is a you know it's a healthcare crisis. So you know, medical professionals are now you know are experts. They can you know, that they can demonstrate that that expert knowledge. Um, you know, in a way that I think maybe they're uncomfortable with doing in the setups beforehand. Um, driving people from you know uh, a a process where they, you know, how you acquire that client, all the digital aspects of it. So, you know, what your social media messages are, what's being put out there, what you know, video. People, if people aren't comfortable with doing video yet, they need to get comfortable with doing video. It was the key change in the aesthetics market in the UK over lockdown. Treatment, uh, treatments versus experience. Um, I think it's it's been something that practitioners I think have struggled with for quite a long period of time, and what this pandemic has done is given an opportunity to re readdress the balance. So experience, you know, how do you create a quality experience for your client? You have to look at the client journey and I break the client journey into a couple of phases, acquisition, activation, consultation, and retention. So four stages, Activist, act acquisition, how do I get this client through my door? 
activation? How do I move them from being a you know someone who's considering having a treatment or you know working with me to actual client, actual patient? Then the consultation point, you know, the whole you know medical history, you know, the, through the treatment pathway, and then retention. And if you break it down like that and just look at each piece in isolation, what you'll end up with is looking to see the gaps. And one of the, the gaps I often see have been in the retention piece. Yeah. So, you know, client, people leave the clinic and then, you know, you don't hear from them three months later. It's then you get a question saying, all right, would you like to book in for your next treatment? Or what happened in the previous three months? You can't afford to do that now. You know, everything, everyone's, everyone's doing video. Everyone's doing Facebook lives. Everyone's talking to your clients. So if you're not out there communicating, then you're at a disadvantage. So that's why I'm saying if people aren't familiar with video, they need to get pretty familiar pretty quickly. Um, so that's, you know, that all of those things connected create that experience. And it's just, I, I describe it, it's like the Golden Gate Bridge, right? You'll go through that whole process, you'll get to the end, and then just go back to the beginning and start again. And as your business starts to evolve and, and mature, the type of things you'll do and improve in quality, you know, the... The, the website that you built suddenly becomes a little bit more featured. You know, your spit and sawdust booking process gets a little bit more, more sophisticated. So, you know, don't try and rush through it, but just use that experience uh, and treat and patient journey as your business model. And you won't go far wrong. Yeah. I think you, ra- you raised some good points there around going through the acquisition and the treatment pathway fairly well. But then, as you said, it's falling falling off after that in terms of not hearing about those patients, not communicating with them between now. And I think that this industry has moved so fast. I think a lot of people have sort of been caught off guard a little bit with how quickly competition has come into the market, how well a lot of people now are organising themselves, especially younger people. They're so savvy with tech and so on. And it seems like it's this treatment almost, these treatments almost have become well, I think commodity is probably a, a, a dirty word or maybe not the right context, but you need to be always thinking about having those patients on, I wouldn't say, trying to think of the right way to explain it. You need to almost integrate them into part of your family. There needs to be constant communication, almost preempting their, 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 next, their need and their wants and making life easy for them because we're so busy now. It's like, I know for myself, if I don't have my new, next treatment booked in for my dentist or whatever it is I've got coming up, I'll forget. It's It seems like... A lot no. of people have just not appreciated how fast things are moving in this industry. And yet one yeah, of the... Com- sorry, I was going to say, one of the common problems that injectors encounter is that they'll try some of that or, or they'll try and rebook or they'll try and kind of maybe be a bit too polite about it. And then the, the patient says, oh, I'll just see how I go or I'll, I'll yeah. call you in three months. And there's kind of this brick wall that, yeah. you know, there's an impasse. So somehow injectors need to find that uh, process smoother and a lot less um, sort of confrontive because I think people don't like commitment these days. They don't like thinking too far ahead and they don't like putting things in their diary yeah. four months ahead. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I do it as they leave, to be honest, and luckily my patients are yeah. sort of longer term now, so they, they get it. But yeah. Does it start earlier than that, though? That's a great point, Joe. I mean, do you think it starts earlier than that, though? I mean, it's about you've got to move yourself from a service provider to actually having a relationship with these customers because a lot of the time, if you haven't developed that rapport, it's almost like the communication channels between you are not open. You're talking different languages because there hasn't been that that established connection or that rapport because all those things that you're talking about doing after the treatment probably shouldn't be an issue if you've done all the right things during the process of, getting to know that patient, understanding what makes them tick, how they communicate, 
what their hot buttons are, what their dislikes, their family, what's coming up, all those sorts of things mm. make that connection. And, and, yeah. and, you know, I'm just sort of talking from my experience and, and sort of what I've found from my clinics, but I think about I think well, those things you've just said decommoditize the treatments. You said commodity is a dirty word. Yeah. It's not. It's an accurate word for the treatments. You know, the the to differentiate on treatment yeah. is now impossible. So you end up in a very noisy space. But everything that you've just said, all those things, if you do that, that will differentiate you as a you know as a, a yeah. service provider into a provider of experiences, and that's what people buy: experience and transformation. And it's the transformation. This is the the key thing you know people are coming to see you to achieve an outcome a result and the education process starts right at the beginning so that whole kind of desire so think about the the the, the process that people go through when they choose to have treatments it's generally an emotional response to something picture goes on facebook you're not looking your best bloody hell i've got to do something about that and that's the trigger and then from there they go out and search and all the things that you sort of said you know how they build how you build trust for your the video, the language you use. Yeah, this is the right person for me. But if they choose, they come to select you, you're the right person for them, then you tell them, this is how I work. This is what I do. These are my expectations of you as a you know, yeah. as one of my clients. And you will come back in three months after I up and ask you to because I don't take clients yeah. that don't and what and I think that's Yeah. And what about you, Rick? It. I mean from a digital perspective, um technology can help us do all those things, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so when you guys were talking, there were two words that were buzzing around in my head. The first one was community. Build a community around you and your clinic. Um, And the way that we advise people do that is to create a a closed Facebook group of your patients and clients. So then that whole process of you becoming known by them, hopefully liked by them and possibly trusted by them, which are the kind of three key things that need to happen before they actually treat you as their expert um, can happen through you being open and providing value and content and education through a community. Um, And the other word was automation because um, single practitioners or or small clinics or busy practices that unless they've got a system that will follow up with people for the long term for the next two years without them having to touch it, it won't happen because it's a random process of, oh, maybe I should text so-and-so, or <laughs> you won't do it until you actually need to fill up your diary, which when it's too late. Um, so creating those kind of systems of ongoing nurturing and automating and educating through email or text or social posts yeah. is the other side of it. So there's community and automation that can help with all of this. Yeah. And um, Richard, I w- wanted to talk to you about, maybe let's rewind a little bit and, and talk about, when people start up their businesses or their mm-hmm. career in injectables, it's I, I think that a lot of people don't really understand who they are um, and what it is they're trying to um, create. Who their clients mm-hmm. are, I feel I see it. I see it in the Australian aesthetics community. A lot of people are just copying successful formulas yeah. and putting a slight, you know, minor change, like a color change or, or something like that. It feels like there's a lot of carbon copy businesses yeah. that are being set up and. I think that that's being driven by, and you can speak to this, is people want to be scared to do something different and be themselves because they're scared that some people aren't going to like them. 
um, or that mm. their their brand or what it is they stand for isn't going to resonate with people. But I think there could be value in people going, look, this is who I am. This is what I'm good at. These are the sort of people that like me. I'm going to go with that. And not everyone's going to like me, but you know, going back to what, to what Rick was saying around finding who you are and your community and mm. staying true to that. What Do you have any thoughts on that? One of the things I was, I was told as a sort of getting into marketing is that you can't be all things to all people. Mm. That's God. Um, <laughs> and you know, if you try and be all things to all people, you'll become nothing to no one. And it's, you, you have to find, it's, it's like, you know, when we started a setting entrepreneurs and AE was a real sea change in, I think in the, in the market, because the way that we approach things is just, it's, just, it's our personalities. We want to have a little bit of fun growing businesses. You know, the, the market, the aesthetics market used to, was was fun. It was buoyant. You know, it was, I got a real buzz out of working with these particular products. And, you know, I'd speak to my friends about, you know, what who I worked for and what I did. You know, they're quite excited. You know, it beats working for Vodafone or whatever. Yeah. That changed over a period of time. And it's it's eroded a little bit, I feel. It's become commoditized and people are trying to copy too many different people. Rather than, as you say, just identify, you know, what it is that they want to bring to the market. It doesn't matter if if you feel if oh, I can't do that because loads of people are doing that. What's your spin? What's your approach? You say things like color, brand. For me, it just comes down to purpose. What is it you want to achieve, and who do you want to serve, and how do you want to serve them? And for me, it's about I would like to help people achieve their goals. And it doesn't really matter what the goals are. Just you tell me what your goals are, and we'll help you achieve them. And that's my purpose. And as from that everything else comes. And I think, you know, if you, if people sort of start to think back about that, like, why, why am I getting into this? Is it to make money? You know, well, really, we are, is that the limit to, to your desire to make money? Or do you want to achieve something slightly different and make your mark on the world? And understanding that will push the business in a different direction. But again, don't be afraid to explore it because yeah. by doing that, you immediately differentiate yourself anyway. Yeah. And I think that's something Jake's done really well. I mean, I look at your brand and what you've created, the stuff you put up, your sense of humor, the irreverence, you know, you give, mm. you know, two tosses about what people, <laughs> you know, think about you and, that, you know, if you put something up that's going to be controversial, you're more than happy for people to unfollow you. And I think that's something that might be, you know, sort of like smoke up your ass here. <laughs> I, I, I only do it on live. I'll give you shit when the camera's not rolling. But um, I think that's something that you've done really well. I mean, you think about how long you've been in this country knowing no one. And you've become one of the most well-known, you know, injectors, certainly in, in Sydney, um, for sure, and maybe in Australia. And I think that's something that you've done well, is you've identified who you are, your tone of voice, you're consistent. Thanks, buddy. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Richard? Should we... Should we uh, yeah. yeah, we'll play a little bit <laughs> yeah. of smoke up. And so, just before, you know, this is going out into <laughs> yeah. the world. So, I've known Jake for many, many years. You know, we, we met up together when we were in London. And I actually came out to, when I was in Sydney, you know, we met up, went to... Um, Coogee Pavilion. Pavilion. Coogee Pavilion, yeah. Oh, God. Where Jake got the name at Titchy Kegger. <laughs> oh, please, let, let's let's just do a podcast on Titchy Kegger because, I mean, I've got Tichy stories Kegger. about the Coogee Bay Hotel or Palace as well, but it was very different when I was coming up to what it is now. Well, the best thing about that evening was that Richard brought me some Marmite, a, a, a big jumbo-sized squeezy bottle of Marmite, Marmite, which I can't get here. It's sacrilege. You can't have Marmite. Uh, I can't get into well, Vegemite. It's just not the same. So I looked, up, I looked after him. But, yeah, but I think, you know, it's a bold move going to a different country. And... You had to, you know, you have to do something stands out, and I think you can only ever be yourself in these situations and these things. And if Jake had gone to Australia to try and be right, you know, going to be someone else and look at the market, and I'll be that guy, you failed miserably. But mm. just being Jake, that's what people like. So you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a there's a there's a clinic for everybody. There's a client for everybody. There are lots of people with lots of money, and 
thinking, you know, people sitting here, you know, in the lockdown, a bit worried about the future. In the aesthetics market, don't it's so resilient. The UK, 2008 recession, the market grew at 15% despite, you know, the, the, um, the, the credit crunch, et cetera, that, that. And the data we've seen over the last 12 months is the market still growing at the same rate. It's just like a train, 15% every year, compound annual growth rate. Yeah. Um, so if your business isn't growing at 15% a year, then you're losing. So, you know, don't worry, just stay in the game. Do, do all yeah. the things we're talking about, work on your digital side of things, you know, work on your identity, what makes you special, what stands you out and just push it out into the market as hard as you can. Yeah. Was that yeah. conscious for you, Joe? No, it was, it, no, it was nice. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I, I took advice from Miranda, who we had on not right, too many yeah. podcasts ago. She very deliberately tells her you know, Miranda injectors, Pierce. Yeah, yeah, Miranda Pierce, who she's coaching, I guess, to find your tribe. Yeah. What, what, what she's saying is be yourself. If you're vanilla, like Richard said, you're, you're not really appealing to anyone and you're not really doing justice to yourself because you're just nothing. Yeah. So, yeah, and I'm just, it's just my personality. I can't blend. I just, I can't keep my <laughs> mouth shut. So, um, but you know, but, but I appreciate that it doesn't come to all people. And, yeah. and I'm lucky that somehow I've established myself. So I maybe can afford to do it more. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I certainly would advise injectors to, um, well, going back to your webinar, it's, you know, the treatment that you do is kind of the the minimum, that's the minimum, but be, give extra added value. So like you said, start pumping out Instagram lives, start showing up on social media and saying something educational, funny, uh, make them, you know, bring them into your world, I guess. So yeah, that would be my advice. That's it. You got you. You got to be yourself, and also you. I remember uh, seeing a great um, business coach in a workshop. Uh, I wish I could remember his name. I could give him some kudos. Um, he's not a famous one, but he was an excellent one. And he talked about the extra twenty percent, and it's what you were saying. The treatment parts expected. His analogy was in a restaurant. If you go for a meal in a restaurant and you get a hot meal, are you impressed? <laughs> You're no. not impressed. But you are impressed if they um, they rec remember you from last time in your favourite drink, for example. Yeah. Um, it's the extra twenty percent, and Airbnb do this as well. They talk about the ten star experience, so they look at their whole experience and they go, "Okay, well that's the five star experience. What would the six star experience look like?" Well, in the six star experience, the guy picks you up from the airport in your favourite car and he gives you your favorite football team shirt and he says, welcome to LA. I'm going to take you to your place. What is the seven star experience? And they keep going and then they get back to what they can achieve. And that's how they design the whole experience. Hmm. I think you can do the same in your patient experience. You can look at how it is today. What actually do they get from you from before they even contact you to a year later? And how can you improve it, automate it, enhance it, personalize it? Then that kind of elevates you to that next stage and then all you got to do is be yourself across yeah. the top of that bring your personality um richard talks about shy kids don't get any sweets it's the same thing <laughs> it's true do you do you guys ever do any sort of um it's a bit tacky i guess but mystery shopping or um you know just turning up at someone's clinic and be like right i'm a walking patient yeah, uh, here here I am. Like, look after me. There's a reality do, TV do, show do, in there somewhere, I think. Yeah, well, probably. Yeah, that's why I said it's a bit tacky, but it's a fair point, right? You know, you could be a, a patient and and you want a treatment, and you just see what happens on the day. Uh, do you ever do anything like that with your business, or is that a bit 
Um, I don't. I used to. When we were working with, you know, the pharmaceutical companies who shall remain nameless, who did that sort of service for clients. Um, and, yeah, I mean, to audit a, a process is, is a great idea. But I also think because it's multi-layered, you're just getting one part of it. So you'd have to mul- you'd have to do a mystery shop, you know, quite frequently over a period of time to get a real nice sort of data set. Um, but I think you can also get more bang for your buck if you're already audited the, um, you know, the digital pathways because there's so many places you can outsource the whole call handling bit to as well. Um, but what we do, the way we do kind of audit and do assessment is we use scorecards yeah. um, as our sort of key strategy to kind of just trigger people's, um, you know, thoughts on like, you know, are you an aesthetic entrepreneur or an aesthetic practitioner? Take our scorecard. And that, you know, gives us a lot of data through and then moves them into the pro into that process. So, and through the scorecards, we can really dig in um, and understand a little bit more about what their motivations are, but also where the bits are struggling with. Um, more in a way that I prefer to do than the mystery shopping. Yeah. What, just going back to sort of, um, you know, social media and, and Instagram, a lot of people focus on, you know, likes and, and followers and all that nonsense. But your sort of key message is high engagement. You know, you could have 20 followers who are absolutely, you know, your VIPs, they would, they would worship you, they'd do anything for you, they come every week. That's way more valuable than 100,000 followers who, you know, don't bother with you. But why do people still focus on on these metrics? Like, it just seems to be obsessive for people. Yeah, it is. It is prevocated by paid influencers, isn't it? Because that's their, or it has been, their their kudos, their their wage slip is the number of followers they get. That's where they've got their value. But now, if you know how to look and how to dig in to their audience, if you could see uh, the percentage of some of those huge accounts that are bots or 13-year-old lads from Indonesia um, <laughs> that, are, that are irrelevant, um, it would, it would, first of all, it would shock you and then it would amuse you and then you would relax a little bit about that because it means nothing. Yep. Though, you know, that huge percentage of those followers, they're never going to walk into your clinic. Um, they're never going to contact you. The, the only real engagement that matters is the, the stuff that creates traction. Um, if and, and when I say comments, I don't mean comments that come from a pod scheme or people saying, amazing, DM us for a promo, that yeah. kind of stuff. I'm talking about people that, oh, what an amazing transformation. That must have been brilliant for that lady or that man. Yeah. Um, real engagement, but also the stuff that really, really matters. Are they leaving your social media and coming through to the website and consuming some articles or booking a consultation? Are they messaging you? Those are the only things that really matter. And you could have 50 followers that are doing that every week. Yeah. Um, and you could have 100,000 bots that aren't doing anything. And the, the follower thing, and even the likes thing, really, because now not only can people not really see how many likes posts are getting anymore, not accurately, um, but they don't mean anything. Um, they mean a small amount in terms of you'll get a bit of extra reach on a post if it picks up some likes in the first kind of hour or so. Um, but it's not really providing or adding to that traction number messages traffic bookings do you have um any insights into the uh, instagram algorithm as in no one knows but do, do you have any sort of key pointers that you think are you know highly relevant and that people should be focusing on 
Yeah, I mean, it, having a real... Um, so when we talk about the percentage of followers on your account that are engaging with you, that determines how many people see your post when you first put it out. Mm-hmm. And so it's really not beneficial to have anyone in your follower list that's not engaging with you because it's diluting the reach and your ability to actually get your content in front of people that do care about it. So the biggest thing, biggest piece of advice I can give anyone with Instagram in particular is to clean up your list of followers. Yeah. Um, And there's some really good tools out there that you can use. Uh, There's one called Hype Auditor. You run your account through there um, and it will tell you the percentage of fake accounts or uh, bot accounts. And it will also tell you if there's people in there from a whole different country, uh, which might not be relevant to you, uh, or the wrong kind of demographic or age group. And you can really try to clean up your follower list. Then when you've done that, much more of the people that really do care and are relevant to you are going to see your posts when they go out. Yeah, um, that's the biggest thing because Instagram's algorithm, it's actually a really good kind of basis that they use, which is they want to show content to people, us, the consumers of social, that we're going to be interested in and that is relevant to us. It's funny. I I, I tend to do about a six month, like you said, a bit of a, a clean up, and I just you know, it's a bit random, but I literally do it manually. I'll just go through my follower list and I'm like, seems weird, no photos, no followers. And I'll just, you know, I'll just delete hundreds of people. And then I get DMs back from these people saying, Oi, uh, I I like your stuff. I just don't want to put my neck out there and say anything because I don't want my husband to know or whatever. (laughs) So I think for injectors, it's a bit of a, there's a lot of ghost followers as they call them. You know, people might kind of be browsing, but not engaging. Yeah. You do get lurkers. Or well, lurkers, fair. yeah. Sorry, lurkers. I call them ghosts, whatever. <laughs> so should yeah. you be removing those people, the ones that aren't, I mean, if they're real but they're not engaging, I mean, but they want to steal your stuff, should you be punting them or not? No, I think, you know, and again, it's a really hard job to kind of weed those out. But they, I would I would start with the easy stuff, get rid of bots and, you know, kids or people yeah. from the wrong country. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with lurkers if they are looking. They 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 may be every time you put something out and you want them to come and visit your blog or whatever. They they may be there reading the whole thing, taking yeah. it all in. Yeah. In, in AE, once a year we do the uh, the Thanos snap, where <laughs> I'll just remove fifty percent of the aesthetic entrepreneurs community. Uh, let them know ahead of time that you know we're going to tidy it up a little bit because yeah, you don't want disengaged followers or anything like that. So we just call it Thanos snap. Do another one, I think. Fair enough. So, what, so just to clarify, Rick. So, he's saying if you've got followers that aren't real, um, or is it that they're not liking or not engaging that causes your posts or whatever you're putting out there to not be shown to more people? So, is it just the it's engagement? Both. Right. It's both. Um, the the bots and the kind of fake accounts they're not going to ever engage with you. So, we need to get rid of those. Um, but the ones that are just lurking and not engaging, they're not helping your uh, rank with the algorithm, but also they could potentially be a real patient at some point. So they're not, I think they should be left if you can identify them. What's your view on influencers? Because I've got a view and it's not a very good one, but um, 
And it, it, it still happens, particularly with injectors. They sort of roll out some bikini model from Bondi and they're like, I did Sally's lips and how gorgeous is she? And I just think, this is nonsense. Like Sally got free lips and no one cares. <laughs> but maybe I'm just... And that's illegal. <laughs> yeah, and it's illegal as well. Here in Australia, we've got very clear advertising rules and, you know, things that you can yeah. and can't do. But what, yeah, just the general idea of having influences, do you think they can ever work? Yeah, they can. Um, there, there are some genuine, genuinely engaging and authentic celebs slash influencers that have maybe found a type of treatment under their own steam, want to rave about it and then meet up with that brand or that partner and they tell a good story and that can really work. But that was organically um, driven because the celebrity kind of decided, this is good, yeah, I'm going to align exactly. with the brand. So authenticity again the key there the ones where it's maybe a bit disingenuous and it's just the contract funnily enough anything that uh, kind of is too far that way has far less impact on the dial yeah. um, and and i think generally speaking across all sectors the idea of a paid influencer is unraveling yeah. Um, for the re for the reasons we spoke about before in terms of the their genuine influence like how many of those followers are real and care um and also kind of also lack of understanding and investigation on the maybe the brand side or the clinic side if they're going to work with an influencer to look at the audience of that influencer because yeah. you're going to work with a bikini model maybe 90 percent of her followers are 25 year old blokes <laughs> yeah exactly and that might be who you want to target it might not be yeah um, but you really need to understand that yeah um so it's it's a combination of these things being really careful who you work with is there a nice organic story leading up to that partnership or not um but i think the way it will go uh and where you'll get better results certainly at the clinic level is with real stories real people yeah that was. I think we're all we're all searching for that that genuine connection these days. I think that um, you know, people that are willing to share their experiences and be raw and real and, and speak from the heart and you know be honest about what's happening in their life and the treatments. It tends to resonate better with people than, than trying to put up this this facade or this, this fake life or this fake sort of persona about yourself. I think people are getting pretty savvy to the bullshit. I think they you know it's almost like when you go to Google now. If I see a five star review, I don't even go there. It's like it's bullshit. No one no one gets five stars. You know, uh, I, yeah, I believe a four point yeah. eight or a four point seven more than I will a five. Yeah. I'm a four point yeah, nine. That, <laughs> <laughs> You're right, but then also as we're talking about the fear, and I think you know the influencer thing is absolutely spot on. It's you know the more of the boutique lifestyle businesses don't work well with influencers because they're not real influencers. It's just you know some someone's messaged on Instagram saying, "Oh, can I you know I'll give me five grand and some free lips, and I'll put a post on your Instagram page." That's not influence. That's just you know, nonsense. Yeah. But the that, that search again, that search for authenticity, it requires bravery. And this is where we're sort of going to go back to the sort of the initial point is overwhelm and fear, fear of putting yourself out there. You have to share some personal stories in order to demonstrate authenticity, which generates trust. Um, that's where a lot of people come unstuck because they don't want to do that. And they just but to differentiate how you're gonna stand out in a crowded marketplace is you've just got to let put yourself out there. The real reasons why you're having treatments, and you know, as part of the AE story, is behind in in there is almost is a very painful financial meltdown from a company I was running that led to the birth of AE. 
you have to share all the stories. One gives you a credibility statement and authenticity and how we developed. And if as a practitioner, um, business owner, you're not sharing the right stories, you're you're not going to you're not going to make enough noise. Um, I think we've sort of touched on some of these topics already, but just sort of honing in more on the digital side now. So I remember you came out of a phrase uh, last time when we had you guys on and you said that you've got to think like a media company and act like a media company. What did you mean by that? So that phrase comes from Gary Vaynerchuk. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Gary V. So Gary Vaynerchuk said, all businesses are now media businesses. That's where that comes from. And what he means is that everything you do is content to put out there. So all the things we were talking about before, about putting out your real self, creating a community around you, um, and kind of educating, informing people so that they know, like, and trust you comes from creating continual content. And it's not, it doesn't have to be polished content. It's more uh, kind of journaling, but in front of everybody. Um, and that's what that means. Um, so it's not so much creating adverts or polished imagery it's a it's journaling your day-to-day uh answering the key questions thinking like a media company would what's on the schedule for today what what are our news topics for this week that's kind of the the mindset that you need to get into these days to achieve those things why do you think people struggle so much with you know even things like TikTok and and stories, they just don't want to put themselves out there. You know, they'll they'll throw up a whole bunch of stuff and and images and memes and whatever, which is yeah, it's better than nothing. But they they really struggle, you know, showing up like like Richard said. I think it's partly a generational thing. Um, you know, it's not a not a normal thing to do for some people. Hmm. Um, for very young people, that's they're native to that, and they're 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 quite happy doing that day in and day out so it's partly that it's also personality types some people just are in, naturally introverted and don't really they're not really comfortable doing that um if you can it's worth getting over that and putting out there yourself uh, and, and even if you are shy that's content talking about how hard this tiktok was to make yeah. or uh, doing a facebook live about how hard it is to push the facebook live button and not press cancel five seconds later because you're scared <laughs> yeah. and you don't know what to say even that is content and actually would get great engagement because people can really relate to that so yeah. it's there is reward on the other side of that kind of reticence to to get involved yeah i think there's a bit of fear too i mean the troll community out there is alive and well um people have get very brave when they're hiding behind their keyboard and anonymity and they can say all sorts of horrible things about you and that aren't true or what have you. And I think there is definitely an element of fear of people putting themselves out there and then, you know, worrying about the comments that are going to come or, you know, you're ugly or, you know, you should have treatment yourself. I mean, you just think you see these things and most people don't like criticism. I mean, no one likes criticism. Mm. I don't like criticism. And I think, you know, the fear factor is definitely a real thing there. I mean, do you have any strategies for overcoming that other than just... Not giving, a paper a, not, bag. not giving a toss, but I mean, is there, is yeah. there something that there's tangi- tangibly that people can take and go, okay, well, you know, I, understand, I can think about this differently, I can process this differently and, and sort of reconcile that in my mind? It, it, it is a process and it's just moving through that, you know, that whole mindset and this fear is absolute fear of rejection, fear of, you know, ridicule, you know, fear of your, sometimes it's fear of your friends and your family taking this out of you rather yeah. than actually clients. Um, but the way I did it is it just kind of, 
feel the fear and do it anyway in a, in a sense is you just got to sort of move through the, the process and start small and, and let it get bigger so don't start off thinking about how you're going to do a massive one hour facebook live presentation with multi cameras and different mics. <laughs> just yeah. do it off your phone for five minutes talking about something that you actually are quite passionate about you know if you're passionate about gardening talk about gardening you know if you're passionate about comic books and stuff like that talk about that because that gives you the confidence to do it and it's what it comes down to it's just confidence and the more you do it the more positive engagement you get and when you get the occasional troll because it is occasional you get the occasional who throws rocks at you you just got to be comfortable with just basically just batting them off uh, and blocking and as your community grows what you discover is that actually your community starts to protect you from those people themselves yeah so um which again makes you feel more you know confident and heart warmed etc cetera, etc cetera. so yeah yeah it's, it's easy to say don't worry about it but it's just something that people have got to work through um, yeah. because it is so powerful and it will generate revenue if you do it well. It's a great thing about doing a podcast. It's not live. So all those people who are there who hate us, we don't have to li- listen to it. <laughs> we, <can> just, <laughs> yeah. we just assume that people, we just watch the downloads and think that everyone love us, but I'm sure there's people out there. That... Oh, both Jake and I have Jewish parents. So, but, you know, that, that what's that <laughs> definition of genius, average children, Jewish parents, you know? So, I mean, we've... <laughs> You can use that if you want. If you go into a bar mitzvah or a wedding, you have my permission. Great, thank you. I'll get it on a t-shirt. Actually, it's a good point. Um, going back to what you were saying about, you know, don't do an hour Facebook Live straight away. Maybe just break it down. It, it's almost like um, an exposure therapy. You know, yeah. just do a 15-second story first and see what yeah. happens. And then do a 30-second one. And then, you know, build up to a 10-minute Live and... So on. I think the podcast has helped yeah, for sure. both, both of us feel more comfortable with well, just our voices. Yeah. yeah. No one likes listening to their voice, but you do enough of it and you think, oh, who gives a shit? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And your, your voice sounds different to you than it does to everybody else. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And, 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 you know, I think you've both got beautiful voices. Oh, oh thank you. Oh, God. He's such a schmooze. He is. He is. He's smooth, this guy. <laughs> Very smooth. Smooth operator. Yeah. Silver tongued cavalier. <laughs> a cad and a bounder. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, you mentioned earlier Sorry. the word SEO. Now, you know, oh, I no. kind of know what that is very simply, and I mess around on my Wix. I'm sorry to say I use Wix, but I do. <sighs> and we'll have a talk about that after. I know last year we said that we were going to sort of do something on my website, and it just never happened. I got too busy. But um, what is SEO, and how do people start? you know, simply doing it. And, and I'm guessing you're going to say outsource it and do it properly, but what can they do? Uh, no, I'm going to say that they can do some things first. Okay. So SEO, what does it stand for first? The basic thing, search engine optimization. What the hell does that mean? It means you can do things to your website, with your content, with your social media, and uh, with something called your Google business profile that make it far more likely that your website and your business will show up on Google, hopefully on page one, uh, when people search for the treatments or solutions that you offer in Mm. your area. And the area part is critical because 90 plus percent of um, aesthetic businesses globally are one business in one location. Then you've got a percentage that have multiple branches and things, and there's a different element to SEO when it comes to those. Um, But all of these searches that take place by people looking for an aesthetic treatment, number one, they 
happen 90% on a phone and two, they're looking for something near to them within a certain radius and Google call that, call that a near me search. Mm-hmm. And this kind of searching um, and the need to show up and compete in the results for that search are on the rise massively. Um, I was looking at some stats. They're about a year old now, so they were, would have been for 2019. But those near me searches had gone up 34-fold wow. from 2018 to 2019, and it continues. Um, so actually, where would you start? The biggest impact you can have, and if you remember earlier in the chat, I talked about one particular case where um, a skincare clinic had gone from coming into lockdown, doing four or five K a month, coming out at 17 to 20 K a month. That person did one thing, which was follow one of our courses called Google Rocket. And it's something that you follow yourself, templates and check sheets. And it's all about optimizing your Google Mm -hmm. My Business profile. So if you go to Google and type in Google My Business, or you download the app, which is just called My Business, you fill it out, you follow the process to optimize it, you put the right terms in there, and then every two weeks you place a post into that profile. Uh, this is Google's latest attempt mm. at social media. They failed so many times before, but I think they might have it right this time because now you have a social post that's sitting on page one of Google all about your business. Um, and that, coupled with building up the reviews from your patients on that profile, make a massive difference to how far up you appear in the map results at the top of page one of Google. Um, right. And that map section used to show seven businesses. Now it only shows three. So it's even more important that you get all of this done and you'll be in the mix against your com- local competitors. And presumably content on your website and, and keywords and all that kind of jazz that I guess that's simple SEO, but a lot of people don't think about that, right? Yeah, I mean, so SEO is a massive topic. I could talk about it all week. Um, this particular aspect of it that we're talking about, your Google local profile, has the biggest, fastest impact on your results. Mm. The other stuff is your ongoing optimization, which is posting content onto your site that is optimized, that is indexable by Google, that answers the key questions that people are typing into Google. We always advise people to use a website called answerthepublic.com. You can go to that site, put in your top treatment type, and it will give you all the questions people have asked about that kind of treatment in Google for the last year. Mm. If you write then a 500 to 700 word blog that answers each of those top questions, you've got a content strategy for the next decade. And you can never say to us that you can't think of anything to write uh, because you do that for each treatment type. And then every time you've written a blog, you then repurpose that into a stories clip, an Instagram post, an email newsletter, and you've got content for years. That's brilliant. that's kind of the uh, the ongoing strategy. But the Google My Business profile, that's where you start because you get a big uptick very quickly. We're hiring you for the podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, content on social media, especially in our industry, you know, I'll be occasionally scro- scrolling through and just having a look at what people are putting up and you see lips and lips and it's like then you'll see a sunset or a picture of a donut or some sort of random <laughs> meal or something like what, well, I mean, what makes good content, especially for cosmetic injectors? Cause there's only so many photos of lips and especially when the lips out of context where you can't see the face, it's, it's just, it, it fries my mind. Well, have you got any sort of basic tips for 
particularly those sorts of accounts in terms of the sort of content. And I was sort of thinking that during this chat, I think I can answer this question just based on some of the stuff that you've said, but I want to hear it from you guys. Client stories, right? I think are absolute gold. So you're absolutely right. So, you know, before and after, before and after, lips, lips, lips. Think of the story. So it's much more compelling uh, doing the kind of the hero's journey, you know, the Rocky story. You know, Rocky's a loser, then he does this and now he's a hero. And the same process is, you know, here's my client, this is what they're before, this is what we did, and this is them now. That story arc done in video or in, you know, images in a sequence is really, really powerful. Um, it's not used anywhere near enough. And we see the results of people when they apply that. The you know the engagement suddenly oh wow that's amazing they can see the journey that's what you yeah. got to paint out to them yeah I think I get the most um, inquiries and DMs and it's pretty basic but it, it's just the before and after because people can look at a before and go that's me and then they see the after mm. and they go wow it does work it's not fake it's real and then they sort of connect that personal motivation to to book in but. Yeah, like you said, if it's just happy Friday and I'm drinking coffee, it's it's just it's a it's a filler content that means nothing. Yeah. It's just boring. It feels like it's just a post for the for, for content's sake. It doesn't feel like it's means anything. Yeah, I, I'd yeah. rather just not post for a few days, to be completely honest, and just trying to think of something a bit yeah. more. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, don't care it, anymore. That's actually a good question as well. I mean, if you've got nothing to post. Should you try and force something or is it better to go infrequent and the stuff that you do is gold? Well, I just gave you a content strategy for the next 10 years. So you can't <laughs> say you've got nothing to post. Um, but, but secondly, if, if, if there is kind of an element of um, the algorithm that if you don't post at the frequency that you have been, yeah. you, do, you do drop in rank. And the next time you post, you get less reach yeah. when it first goes out. So, But that's not to say that you should put out nonsense. Yeah. Um, I think it is client story. Before and afters always get massive engagement, uh, but there are particular types of before and afters that get engagement versus those that don't. Yeah. So again, it's about quality of lighting. Also, quite harshly and um, unfairly, perhaps images with where the, there's blemishes around the area that's been treated don't get that much engagement. So um, I'm not saying they should be made up, but maybe careful selection of the the type of images but then it's the stories that go with them. And whether that happens in the captions or you do some follow-up interviews right. with that patient or stories around it, they can really help. So a lip photo with herpes, no go. So- <laughs> no go, mate. It's not going to happen. Okay. <laughs> that, that Unless you're talking about it. <laughs> which is educational. I was involved in a project where we automatically analysed 10,000 pieces of social content across Europe and it gave... Like seven or eight different types of before and after image and the ones that work well and the ones that don't and the ones with lots of moles just didn't yeah, I know right. it's harsh yeah. but uh, really yeah so as in you could see the full face and, and it was just you know a real person no, but, but not even full face but maybe just the bottom half if there were some odd spots or blemishes or moles they got less engagement than the, the smoother ones and that is a problem, isn't it? Because a lot of that is photoshopped out to, you know, filter the skin or whatever. I, I'm assuming because that's not normal. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I wonder if it's 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 is it con- I wonder if it's conscious or not, or people are just like actively saying I'm not uh, interested in saying that. I think it's a subconscious thing. The other the other type of content that gets great engagement but that isn't actually produced mm. much 
is uh, people who are having what looks like a positive in-clinic experience. Not the treatment bit. Actually, people do not like to see injections happening. Those were at the bottom of the pile in terms of engagement on out of those 10,000. Mm-hmm. Um, but where they're with their practitioner and they seem to be getting on with them and it's not posed and it's like a nice warm environment, those, yeah. those got a lot of engagement too. Interesting. Yeah. Gosh, we should we should we should do a few months with you guys. We'll, we'll do we'll do a case study. We can see how much how much more our account's grown, how many more downloads we get. Yeah, what do you, what do you think? No, I'd love to. Yeah, let's do it. No pressure. We've just asked you on the show, and if you say no, we'll, we'll, we'll publish <laughs> we, it. We accept. <laughs> yes. Mission accepted. No Avengers <laughs> assemble. Go on, um, let's pick up. I mean, there, there's so many things that we could talk about. I just want to sort of ask one more question about when people don't have a website or they want to redo their website and, and maybe I'm one of those people, yes, you can do it for $500 or 500 bucks, whatever, but presumably it's just not worth doing because it's not going to be optimized. It's not going to look nice. It's not going to potentially, you know, work with Google very well. So are you basically saying that you have to engage someone like yourself or are there ways to kind of, I don't say do it on the cheap, but basically do it for a bit more affordability? Uh, no, I didn't say people have to engage me. You did, um, but what what I would say <laughs> what I would say is that if if you don't have the budget to get it done properly, then it's actually better that you don't spend any money on it and you build one yourself, and you will learn through that process what the brief should be and what you really need when mm-hmm. you can afford to get it done properly. Yeah, that's, that's um, yeah. I think I agree with that. Because actually, spending five hundred to a thousand bucks on a a cheap website would be a waste of money. You could use that money elsewhere and actually create your own single page site that looks nice and does the job for now to give you some kind of presence until you've got revenue coming in and budget to create a professional website. Yeah. Um, so I, I normally tell people that if, if they can't afford to, and obviously that's only in regard to working with our team, if they don't have the budget, I don't, um, suggest they get a cheaper one. I suggest they create one themselves to start with because um, they'll learn through that process. Yeah. I mean, there's just so many things. We could do another podcast just on, you know, websites. But it's like, I think it's what Richard said. It's about the patient journey, but on your website. So it's got to look welcoming. Is there sort of, you know, a call to action? Can they book easily? Can they find their way around? Can they pay online? There's there's so many things that need to be weaved into it that yeah. I just, I yeah. It, it's it's a it's an ongoing process and it always evolves. Yeah. What about Absolutely. things like um, you know, how many clicks it takes to get something done, like reducing the friction of you know ease of you know, like I, nothing drives me mental when I'm trying to buy something and I've got to do like twenty clicks and you know enter in, you know, just random info. Like it, it just it got to make it easy and fast for people. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, most people are doing it on a smartphone. Yeah. Um, so it's got to be super easy at the tap of a finger. Um, and again, that's just about thinking through what's the journey through the website, not just your whole practice, but through the website from when they land on it. What what are you expecting them to do uh, to get through to the action, whatever that might be, downloading something, purchasing something, booking something, uh, signing up for something. Um, think it through. And actually, people are relatively compliant uh, as we've just seen for the last year and a half. Uh, but they are also on websites pretty compliant. So if there is a pathway and it's pretty clear what you want people to do at each stage, 
through the design and the functions, they will do it. Um, so you just got to think it through and actually stand back and try your own website out on a phone or give it to grandma and see if she can do it um, <laughs> and, and keep it super simple. And also when you've designed it, stand back a couple of feet, squint your eyes. And if you can still see the call to action buttons, then you've done a good job. Right. Now, I didn't want to de- delegate this to sort of two minutes, but uh, you know, we're sort of running out of time. It's quite a long podcast now, but you mentioned automation and there's a hundred things you can automate. But I think that this is something that I probably don't do as well as I could do. Most people struggle to know what they can automate, but I think the key point is if you can do as much of that as possible, your life will be a hell of a lot easier. So where do people start with this and what services and apps and, and, and other things are available to sort of explore automating um, you know, your business? Yeah. So, and again, this comes back to that overwhelm thing is something that, that can help with it. So just look at the things that you're doing over and over manually that are repetitive and start with those. So it might be that if you're still running a paper diary and you're having to go back and forth with people to find a relevant day or time for an appointment, then the first thing you need to look at is the scheduling aspect of things and create create an online diary and there's lots of different systems out there um i still find in the software market around aesthetics there isn't one that does everything yet they all do a percentage of what you would ideally want um the way we approach it is we actually connect a few systems together and create workflows between them um it's not always possible if you've already invested into a particular system but first thing scheduling Second thing is the kind of follow-up process. So the reminders, the pre-appointment information, the follow-up information, aftercare, uh, asking for a review, asking them to refer you to a friend. All of that can be automated through a pre-scheduled program of emails that can be personalized. Um, And again, some software tools offer that out of the box or otherwise you can connect into systems like Campaign Monitor. I mentioned that because they're an Australian company hmm. and I love them. I've not uh, even heard of them, have you? No, I haven't. Uh, or uh, MailChimp, which I think is a bit clunky, but it's uh, it's kind of similar to Campaign Monitor. Yeah. Um, and then once you get through those elements of automation, you can take it further for the patient and also inside your business. So you can look at things like your accounting. So invoices are automatically generated and sent. Um, admin. Things are automatically documented and added to patient records. There's a whole kind of list that you can go through that you can pick off, but start with scheduling and follow-ups. Yeah, I, I've got to say, when I did that a few years ago, it was the biggest you know, uh, revolution for me f- from a mindset perspective because I was like, wow, this whole text tennis thing has just stopped overnight and yeah. I'm getting deposits, which yeah. I didn't used to do many years ago. And nice. you, know, you know, not only did it sort of save me time, but suddenly it reduced my no-show rate by about 99%. Absolutely. So, you know, that's probably one of the most powerful things. If you're not doing that and you're listening to this, please get a booking system, whatever one you choose. Absolutely. 90 minutes have elapsed and I feel like we've only just scratched the surface. <laughs> Thank you, lads. Yeah, there, there's there's a few more podcasts in here, but um, I feel like we've we've used and abused you with a webinar and a podcast. <laughs> but um, thank you guys so much for your time. We, it's always good to catch up and uh, get your insights. And um, maybe we'll do sort of a, 
a sort of a, you know, another one in six months to a year and, and see sort of how things evolved, see the where the world is with COVID and pandemics and, and all the rest of it. If people um, want to join aesthetic entrepreneurs from Australia or, or anywhere in the world, we've got people all over the place, can they still connect with you or is it more of a UK-centric focus? No, not at all. They, they'd be, um, they'd be happy to take as part of our sort of strategy over the next couple of years is to, you know, take AE out out to the world. The, the challenges that uh, you know people face in the US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand are very similar to you know what we're facing in the UK. So we've definitely got um, some support and help we can do from that. I mean, the simple um, route to go is to the website, which is www.aesthetic-entrepreneurs.com. Uh, or just drop a search for Aesthetic Entrepreneurs into Facebook and you'll find our Facebook community and, and connect with us there. Um, and from there, you know, we'll throw a little scorecard at them to see where they are and um, they can start their journey with us there. Excellent. Fantastic. We'll put all those details at the bottom in the podcast description. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you guys. And um, we'll be talking offline about how you can help, how AE can help <laughs> IA. There you go. Yes, no worries. Thank you, guys. We'll speak soon. Thank you. Awesome. Take care, guys. Take care. For our latest news, upcoming guests, and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions, or guest requests.